Ravine Jadaram is the CEO of Auckland's Water Care, and you could say that he has water in his veins. He's been the CEO for six years in his various roles at Water Care, Metro Water, and the old Manukau Water go right back to 1995. He's an engineer by background, uh, studied at Auckland University, as well as executive qualifications from Stanford in the US. Mr. Jadaram, welcome to Taxpayer Talk. Thank you very much for the opportunity. Can I call you Ravine? Absolutely. I, I would offer you a water, but <laughs> can I just say off the bat, though, on a more serious note, that while you've obviously taken a lot of heat in recent months, including due to a particular list which was um, which have agreed not to go there today, but I do want to put on record our appreciation of you firstly fronting up. You're actually probably the most publicly accountable unelected uh, official uh, in, in the Auckland Council group. And second, and this is from both the Ratepayers Alliance and the national organisation, the Taxpayers Union, we've got to say, Watercare has to actually be one of the best public sector organisations we deal with in terms of getting information under freedom of information law. So I just want to put that on, on record and start off on a, on a positive note. Certainly, that's not the, if only that was the case for the rest of Auckland Council, but for Watercare, you guys do pretty well. Well, thank you very much. And we hope that we can continue to be transparent and open as would be expected of us. So, well, that's exactly why we got you on. I mean, there's been a lot of confusion in recent months about the pickle Auckland is actually in and whether the, whether sustained underinvestment has been the primary cause. So we've got plenty of time today. And um, as you may have seen, we've had Lots of members uh, send through their questions so we can get to the bottom of, uh, of the issue. Sure. Um, let's get straight into it. Let's take a, a step, take the sort of more broader overview, given that we will come to, but a third of Aucklanders have only arrived in Auckland in the last 20-odd years. Um, tell us about the water care model and how it came about. So water care was created sort of in 1991, it used to be part of what was the Auckland Regional Council, and it, it was set up to be solely focused on the provision of bulk water supply and bulk wastewater services to the councils who did all the retail work, because we had various councils then. Today, we have only Auckland Council, but then we had... Auckland City Council, Manukau City Council, North Shore, Papakura, Waitakere, and they were all customers of Watercare. They received bulk water from Watercare, and then they supplied it to their customers, the mums, dads, homes, and businesses. And then they collected all the wastewater, which then went into trunk wastewater uh, pipes that Watercare owned, and then Watercare treated and disposed of the sewage, except for North Shore, which had its own wastewater system. And Watercare was set up, I believe, to provide that focus for Auckland on water supply and wastewater. And so back then, was it the councils that actually did the billing and set the prices for the individual areas, or has it always been centralised in terms of the water metering and sending bills out directly out to households? Each each council um, set their own water uh, charges, and it used to be a target rate uh, water and a volumetric target rate, and wastewater tended to be a land rate, either identified as a target rate or as part of the general rate. I think most of them had separate rates, and then they paid water care. So water care would charge the councils, and then the councils included the water care charges in their bills. As the council, especially Auckland City and then Manukau, set up their own water retail companies, Metro Water and Manukau Water, both organisations that I did work for at some stage, they, uh, in their bills, which were not rates, there were water service charges, they did identify the water cut water care charges separately. That, that covers one of my next questions. So back then, you'd charge each individual territorial authority the sort of bulk charge, and then they would slice and dice it and figure out how best to allocate both the water provision and stormwater 
charge is go- going out. Is that a fair summary? Uh, water, drinking water and wastewater, yes. And so let's fast forward to establishment of the super city. You obviously took over the North Shore's stormwater assets, which you just mentioned, and then it was all put into one. We all pay uniform water charges now. Is that your sole funding? So water, drinking water charges, service charges, and wastewater service charges are the two sources of income, the major sources of income. We also have an additional charge called infrastructure growth charge, which is levied on all new additional connections. And it's a contribution to funding infrastructure to meet growth. This is like a development contribution, is it? Yeah. So it's, 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 it's not because our, we, we are not a rating agency. So water case charges are all contractual. We, we are unable to rate. Councils can rate, but we can't rate. So all our charges are, are contractual charges. And many, some time ago, when we spoke to focus groups, existing customers of uh, Watercare, their view was that they should not be paying for the growth of Auckland. Those who created growth should pay for it. And therefore, the infrastructure growth charge is levied on all new connections. And is it financially separated? By that I mean water charges we pay. Is it, hypothe- is it like a hypothecated tax and that the council can't come and pinch that to use it for, a, I don't know, a CBD rail loop? Yes, yeah, so Watercare is a separate company owned 100% by, by Auckland Council. We do not pay any dividends to Auckland Council. By law, it's not allowed to, you know, Watercare doesn't pay any dividends to Auckland Council. And Watercare does not receive any funding from Council either. So we don't receive any of the rates oh, okay. from Auckland Council. So we have to be self-sufficient with our charges and the law requires us to operate the business at minimum costs for the long-term sustainable business requirements. So we've got to keep the water wastewater business running for the benefit of Auckland and the money that we collect should be used only for that purpose and no other purpose. Okay, so it, it, it is um, hypothecator or in a separate pool, excuse the pun. So do commercial users pay the same as households? And the question is, if not, why not? So for drinking water, everyone in Auckland pays the same, commercial customers and domestic customers. They pay the same rates, and it's all 100% volumetric. For wastewater, commercial customers pay differently. They pay more. And the reason for that is we used to have what was called a trade waste charge because commercial, some of the industrial customers have discharges in their wastewater, which requires additional treatment than domestic sewage would. And trade wastes were, trade waste charges were removed a few years ago after consultation with the EMA and the commercial customers, and they were replaced with a separate charge, um, the Employers and Manufacturers Association. And so wastewater charges are uh, are higher for commercial customers than they are for domestic customers. Give us an idea of, I mean, in Auckland, I suspect that, for example, the brewery and the Coca-Colas of the world, I'd assume they'd have their own wells. Who are the big users on your network? If, for example, this crisis led to you having to switch taps off, who would be the big users, first cab off the rank? So food food and beverage organisations are big users. So beer manufacturers, soft drink manufacturers as individual sites. But collectively, Auckland Council with the many facilities that they own, is a major user of water and wastewater services. Kainga Ora, the uh, New Zealand Housing, Kainga Ora, Housing New Zealand, they are a major uh, customer. The Auckland International Airport 
uh, is a major customer. They'll be using a bit less at the moment, I'd hope. They are using a bit less. In fact, with, with the drought, our top customers have reduced the demand by about 15%. And a question we had from one of our members was, why do people on their own tank supplies have to pay for meters? So those customers who are only connected to our wastewater system, they're not connected to our water supply system, they have a choice. They can either pay a fixed wastewater charge, which is what traditionally traditionally used to be the charge, a fixed charge. Akin to a targeted rate. Yeah, akin to a targeted, but we can't, we're not a rating agency, so it's a fixed fee for us. And, or they can choose to put a meter in, in which case they will pay the same tariff that our domestic customers who are connected to our wastewater system would be paying because they have a meter to their water supply system. Can anyone get the meter for the water going out? I mean, the, my big pet peeve on this is knowing that when I'm watering the garden with my hose, of course not that I am at the moment, but um, when back in the day when you were allowed to do that, that I'd be charged, even though that water was going on the garden, I was paying for the stormwater for that water as well. Do households with big gardens, are they allowed the meter coming in and the meter going out? So it's very difficult to meter sewage because it's, it's not pressurized, it's flowing by gravity. It can be done, very expensive to do that. So instead what we do is we use a factor to reduce the volume of... So if, you, if you're receiving 100 units of water, you are only paying for 78.5 units for wastewater. So we are saying that the, the balance is what, on average, you would be using outdoors. Now, those individuals who have very large gardens, we encourage them to put a separate uh, water meter for their gardens. And of course, going into the future, hopefully those who have very large gardens can also invest in a rainwater tank and use rainwater to water their gardens. Okay, let's move on to value for money because that's fundamentally what uh, us ratepayers and the Ratepayers Alliance um, members are, are pretty keen to hear about at the moment, given all the financial pressures. I want to put it to you, I, I see you're putting water rates up by 2.5% this year. Inflation is close to nothing. Why at a time when so many Aucklanders are facing, frankly, financial ruin, um, are you putting up the costs on Auckland households? So that's a very good question, and I apologise for those who are struggling because we try to help everyone. We do have a trust that helps those customers who have difficulty in paying. So if if they are members of yours who have an issue, I would like them to talk to us or um, go to the trust that we have which is independent from Watercare, and they can also help those customers. We might be able to pop that information on, on our website, perhaps. Yeah. The, the way we set our charges, because as I said, you know, we, we're not a rating agency, and so we, we look at the long term and we try to put as much of an average increase per year, every year consistently, rather than have spikes. So instead of having... 5% increase one year or 7% and then 1%. We're, we're just saying we, we are targeting that two, two and a half to three, two and a half for water, and I think it was 3% for wastewater. But this year we just did two and a half for both on average for the next 10 years. So that's our price path, whether the inflation is less or more. And the reason we, we have that is because we need to have the revenues and we keep our costs as low as possible because there, there will be your next question as to how do we make sure because we're a monopoly how do we make sure we keep our costs as low as possible but the reason why we increase the price is because we do not want to increase prices by a higher margin in the years where we as a company may be struggling so we have to balance that out because from a membership point of view from our customers point of view there's certainty for them on what, what our price path will be. Yeah, I still come back to I mean, you guys haven't got, like, say, Vector, I think that you know, you're a network industry similar to the electricity. 
their price paths um, or quality price paths have to go past the Commerce Commission. They operate under the um, Part 4 of the Commerce Act and even their major investment has to be peer-reviewed by the Commerce Commission. You don't have any of those sorts of oversights. What confidence can we have that we're not paying a lot more than Christchurch or Wellington, say, when for them it's all tied up in the rates bill? Yes. So that's a very good question. And so what what we don't have is an economic regulator for, for water. And with the changes that the government is proposing with water reform, we would support an economic regulator to be appointed by government with the oversight requirements that you are mentioning. The Commerce Commission at the moment, because we don't pay dividends and because we are not, unlike Vector, who are paying dividends, the Commerce Commission has an interest in making sure that the customers are not paying excessive amounts, which is then siphoned off to shareholders. Uh, But we are not paying any uh, dividends. So the question then is, are we efficient and effective in the way we run our business? Are we investing sufficiently in the infrastructure or are we gold plating the infrastructure? And it's very difficult for a monopoly organization like ourselves to be self-governing. No matter what I say, (laughs) it does not matter because you need an independent agency tasked with that role to come in and say, I'm the economic regulator and I will benchmark you against criteria that they will have formulated. But we don't have that at the moment. Gosh, that is an interesting point. That was exactly where I was going to go, is around how do we ensure that there's not the gold plating? Um, Because, of course, politicians, it's, um, it's very easy when something goes wrong to encourage you to spend up the wazoo and build for once-in-a-thousand-year events. And this is classic risk and reward. The, with respect to your profession, as a regulatory economic lawyer, I can tell you that, that, that engineers always want to go plate because you guys are a bit like us and that you just see risk. But having worked uh, on behalf of, in, in the sphere of electricity, on the side of consumers, that actually you want rational decisions around there, and that's normally the job of the Commerce Commission. So I'm interested in how you see that trade-off. I know you've, you report to a board, and that's the board is appointed by Auckland Council. What do you see as sort of acceptable risk? I mean, there's been lots of talk about the current event being, quote-unquote, a once-in-100-year event. It seems that not to correct me if I'm wrong, we seem to be hopefully through the worst of it. What standard of ex- what standard are you building to in terms of how bad a drought or how common a drought are you able to keep the taps on? Yeah, so, so in 93-94, Auckland had a drought, the last drought where restrictions had been called for and then For the last 26 years, we haven't had any restrictions until now. After that drought, the councils appointed a a panel of experts, including uh, or chaired by Sir Ron Carter, and they recommended that Auckland should have a drought security standard of one in 200 years. Now, what that means is that it would take a drought of 0.5% probability in any year that would completely empty our storage lakes. Now, that's a, that's a very technical definition, not a very practical one, because we don't want to end up with an empty storage lake. And that is the standard that, we use. Is that based on doing nothing, or does that include sort of your your standard mitigation factors of telling people to save water and and turning or at least getting your major industrial users to to curb their use? Excellent question. So exactly that's exactly what we then end up doing. We, 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 We have to make sure that we have triggers 
that are linked with our storage system, our water storage system, which are means by which we intervene at appropriate times to make sure that we can survive the drought. I mean, the reality is we don't know how severe a drought is until the drought is over. And, and we don't want to run out of water. And so we have different trigger levels. And of course, we these days we use very sophisticated computer models. So we have um, trigger levels where we would start from voluntary saving re- requests. We would go to the to our customers and say, we would like you to start being careful about your water use. And as the storage level falls, there would be a trigger point at which we would say we now need a level one restriction. And that's what we did in May. And restrictions can only be applied using Auckland Council's bylaws. We we are not a regulatory organization, so we don't have those powers. And then if lake levels continue to fall, we'll go into level two restrictions and level three restrictions. And basically, the restrictions are interventions requiring greater amounts of savings so that we can survive the drought. And by reducing water demand, we will be able to conserve the water in the reservoirs, which means we'll be able to use it for a longer period of time and hopefully in the longer period of time, we will get the rainfall. Okay. So we have a one in 200 year drought security standard, excuse me, and we are meeting that standard. We have not built infrastructure in excess, and we definitely do not have a deficiency in the infrastructure. So what we are facing right now... I, w- I want to go into that because that's been... The most questions we've had from our people have been on that very point. You know, in 1994, Auckland region had a population of 1.1 million. It's now 1.65 million. That's 50% more in 26 years. I want you to run through for us what our reservoirs are or what water we have coming into the system and compare that to 94 because I, I need you to convince all of us Yep. that we have got 50% more than we did in 1994. Otherwise, it kind of feels like we've brought this on ourselves. Absolutely. So um, otherwise, we'd be gold plating, plating or not investing enough. So we we serve about one and a half million people in Auckland because not everyone is connected to our water supply system. And in 1994... We had just under 900,000 people who were connected. So you are right, about about double. Um, so since 93, um, 94 to now, a number of things have happened. Of course, population has grown. But at the same time, the per capita demand has dropped. Because one of the things we keep doing and will continue to do is ask customers to use less of our product. We're quite unique in that. We're an organization that is asking customers to use less of our product. And in 93-94, on average, Aucklanders were using around 350 liters of water per person per day. Now, that's industrial and domestic combined. So that was gross. In 2020, we are using about 270 litres per person per day. So demand has come down per capita, and we are hoping it will continue to drop. Domestic demand, domestic customers' demand, since 2010, when WaterCare took over everything and we introduced our wastewater volumetric charging, in 2010, the average domestic demand in Auckland was around 190 litres per person per day or nearly 200 litres per person per day until the heavy demand in summer this year, if we ignored the heavy heavy demand, our per capita demand is less than 160 litres per person per day. So it's dropped in the last 10 years from about what 200 to 160. So, so per capita demand has gone down. We are more efficient water users now as a city. And at the same time, we have built gradually 
the capacity from the Waikato River. So when the Waikato River source was um, built in 2002, we started off with 50 megalitres a day. And then every few years, we added another 25. And then a few years, we added another 25. And we today are doing 160 megalitres a day. What's the total amount going through the network per day? So what's that as a percentage? So at the moment, in, in winter, our demand right now is about 400 megalitres a day. It's well over, it's about a third. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, actually, when I just don't, I've been following what you're saying and writing it down. What you're saying is we're using about 20% less and of what's coming in from the Waikato is about a third. So you do get pretty close give or take, to that that 50%. I want to put to you, though, yep. that a big reason why demand has fallen is that a lot of industrial users have left Auckland because our water is expensive. So I want to go back to my earlier question, which is compared to what Aucklanders pay water care versus what Wellingtonians or Cantabrians pay via their local councils to their own reticulated schemes, do you benchmark against that, and is that information publicly available? Yes. So if you went to the Water New Zealand website, which is waternz.org.nz, they have an area where you can look at benchmarking. It would be called projects and benchmarking. And they have uh, benchmarking data for 2019, 2018, 2017. And in 2019, I've just opened it in front of me um, so I can read out. This is Murray Gibbs' old outfit. This is the the engineer's group. Yeah, this is the water. Murray Gibbs used to be the CEO. Absolutely. He's since left. So for large cities, for water supply, Auckland had, because most cities don't have volumetric charges, because they just charge as a rate. And so the what they have is what they call the annual residential charge for 200 cubic meters of water water use per year. That is like a, an average household. And for an average household, WaterCare in 2019 had $303 as its water charge, and it was the lowest among the large cities. In terms of what they call medium-sized cities, there was Whanganui was $262, so they were lower. And, of course, if you go down to really small, well, they were all around $280. So, yeah, but compared to Christchurch, Auckland, Hamilton, Dunedin, Wellington, Taranga, we were the, the cheapest. When it comes to wastewater... However, uh, among the large cities, we would be the most expensive. What, and the, well, why is that? Well, because our, the environmental standards that we have to meet are higher. We have consents for our wastewater discharges. We have uh, wastewater treatment plants that are compliant with the resource consents. I mean, if you follow the, the problems with the water industry in New Zealand, and which is why the government is looking Towards the water. We just mentioned Wanganui. Their wastewater treatment system totally was, um, I'd argue that officials were sucker punched by issues they didn't understand and got assets totally unsuitable um, to, to solve their problems. Yes. And ratepayers there have paid the earth. I just wonder, this, this, water, this water NZ data, does it cover every territorial authority? Does it cover every council? Those who submit the data. I think this might be something for us to include because I'm conscious there'll be listeners of this podcast. Of course, there'll be our Auckland Ratepayers Alliance listeners, but there'll also be the, our listeners from the National Organisation, the Taxpayers Union, and other parts of the country. This sounds like something that should be included in our local government league tables at Ratepayers Report, so I'll, I'll certainly follow that up. Let's go back, though, to comparing today to 94 because I had... One of our researchers go back and dig out the front page of the Herald back in 94. And it does seem extremely similar when you go back and the sorts of rhetoric that had been 
talked about are very, very similar. So tell us why, if back then we were prepared for a one in a 100 year event and now you say we're prepared for a one in 200 year event or the other way, a 0.5% event, why do we have a second event in 26 years? Yeah, so the 93-94 drought, when that happened, the drought security standard was one in 50 years. Well, then that, that would suggest even more so that you've had pretty bad luck if 26 years later we have a one in 200 year event. Well, we don't know whether this is a one in 200 year event. As I said, we'll only find out when the drought is finished. Although the first four months of this year, which were the driest on record, were indicating that we may be going towards that. But we don't know. I mean, it might rain. The forecast is that spring is going to be dry. And of course, we have to rely on forecasts because we, we don't have anything else. And and it may rain next week, as it did in Fungaray. Um, I mean, we could get one of those storm dumps and drought is finished and everything is over. But we don't know that. Um, and so basically what, I don't know what, what you're trying to ask here, but what my, I would say is we do not have a drought-proof water system. And we, we can provide a water system that is almost drought-proof, but it would be a very expensive gold-plated infrastructure that would, most of which would be sitting idle and it would not be value for money for Auckland. So when did you first become concerned about this? I mean, when did the rain stop or when did, when did this, this drought start? Uh, well, when, when were we concerned? We, quite independently of the drought, started a campaign in February as part of a campaign that we were going to do anyway called Water is Precious. And we launched a new website called waterforlife.org.nz where we put all the tips on how water uh, should be used wisely. So we, we did that in February. And of course, January, February, we... Well, if that's in February, why on your public board session on 28th of January, there's a quote in the agenda that's been set, sorry, in the minutes that have been emailed to me, water care will have sufficient volumes to satisfy customer demand for water through the coming winter. And further yep. in the minutes it says, quote, water outlook for February 2020 through judicious and operational decisions across our water sources, there will be sufficient water resources for this summer and autumn. Dam levels are currently 70%. Yep. Yet here we are in July and we're well into water restrictions and you've just told me that the Save Water campaign started as early as February. Yep. How do you reconcile those statements? Yeah, absolutely, because they're two different things. So in, in December, January, what we were concerned about was peak demand, which, which is a, when our peak demand was around 550 uh, megalitres a day, which peak demand puts pressure on our treatment plants because we, we have to make sure we can supply the peaks. And the peak demand was created because most people in Auckland who have rainwater tanks or who have partial reliance on rainwater tanks had dry tanks. And so their demand was substituted from rainwater tanks to our public water supply system. And so we naturally had very high demand. And those comments are around the peaks. We did not at that stage know that we were in a drought. In fact, the weather forecast that we get, March was going to be wet. In April, we were going to get a cyclone. It didn't come. It came past, but didn't come to Auckland. It seems pretty worrying, though, that you were relying on a wet month and a cyclone to get us through when the board was being advised that actually we're fine right through to, uh, to spring or through yeah. spring. Yeah, yeah. 
So um, I'm struggling to understand what your question is. Okay. Well, let, let, let me put let me put something um, else to you then. Well, you're talking about hindsight, and what I'm saying is, yes, today we can say that, but in January we didn't know what we know today. Okay. So what do we get down to? I, I, I presume over the last few weeks of rain, we're up at least a little bit. Yeah. Um, I know you haven't had the great downpours that you wanted. Um, uh, in the various catchments. But what did we get right down to in terms of percentage of uh, dam uh, full? Yeah, we, we got down to 42%. 42, okay. Then. So to compare that to 94, we're according to the Herald, uh, June 1994, front page of the Herald, we were down to 31%. Yeah. But that's with no supply from the Waikato back then. That's right. So it's fair to say that at least as it stands now, and as long as we have what we would normally expect for this time of year for the next few months, we're out of the woods. Is that right? Well, if we get the rain this spring. So you, you are absolutely right. But by itself, where we are today is where we were last year. And, and so that wasn't a big deal. The challenge we've got is that the forecast that we have is that spring is going to be dry. And because if spring is going to be dry, because we, we had the rain last year in spring, if spring is going to be dry, then we have a problem this summer. And, and everything we're doing right now is actually to protect ourselves for summer. Okay, so we went down to 42%. What are we now? We had 58.5% today. Okay, then. The other big issue has, in the context that this has been happening is the council's emergency budget. I'm struggling to under reconcile what you've told me, that everything water care, it's, it's funded by our water and wastewater charges, and you don't pay a dividend, nor, correct me if I'm wrong, are you subsidised by the council? How does the recent problems then impact on our rates? Because I'm conscious the mayor and his finance deputy, Councillor Simpson, has been saying that you guys have created a, an additional hole in their budget. H how does that reconcile if rates don't pay for water care? Yes, so, so rates don't pay for water care and don't pay for any of the projects we're doing or for operating the business. The impact on council is not on its rates. So part the rates because it shouldn't, and I can't speak for the council, but I can give you the facts. The council has got a credit rating for its borrowings, and the credit rating is very much a function of its debt-to-revenue ratio. Ex exactly, because we are 100% owned by council, so... All our revenue and debt. What you just told me is they can't use your revenue to pay back their debt, so it's a little bit artificial. Yes, it, it is. So it's just a consolidation of um, revenue for, because it's the parent, parent organization. So when they um, send the, the information to the credit agency, the credit agency has the total debt for council, including Watercare's debt, and all so, the other CCOs did. Yeah, sorry. Well, this might be cutting a bit close to the bone in terms of um, uh, politics, because you are um, you obviously need to be politically neutral. But I think most Aucklanders were left with an impression that Watercare needed more investment and from the council, which was blowing a hole in the budget. What you're saying is, no, the only, to, you, to use Phil Goff and Desley Simpson's term, hole, was that because of your encouragement of people to use less water. They would be paying water care less, therefore council group revenue would be lower. And they thought that was their hole because that impacted on uh, the debt to revenue ratio. Is that a is, is there anything factually incorrect there? No, you're, you're right. So our revenue, if it is lower, makes the council's total revenue lower. And if we're doing more projects and spending our capital and borrowing, and then it makes the debt go higher. So uh, we we had a double whammy, I guess, contribution to the council by 
saying that our projects still needed to be done, the capital work still needed to be done, and our revenue was going to be lower than what we originally forecast. One more question that was sent in by a member, and then I want to have a quick chat about the Waikato River and climate change, and we'll, um, we'll finish it off. So firstly, there's been a report that Watercare drained a dam or reservoir last year for maintenance. Is, is that right? <laughs> no. No, we did. Okay, didn't. well, that's good. There, there, was <laughs> can, a similar, there was a similar story during the 93-94 drought. But no, we <laughs> we can, We'll park that down <laughs> to repeated fake news then. That's all right. That's good. That's why we've got you on here. Um, and now let's talk about um, Waikato River. And, and I will um, start off by saying that you, the treatment of you by the, um, you won't call him a twerp, but I will, uh, chair of the Waikato Regional Council, and this, frankly, attempt at a shakedown at the good ratepayers of Auckland for uh, us to be charged for water that would otherwise be going straight out to sea in the Waikato River is, fam- frankly, a disgrace. But you mentioned that we can draw, was it 150? We, we, we're we drawing about 160 megalitres a day right now. And what do you want to take that up to? Well, we, we want to take it up to 175 for right now, for, for during this drought. Um, and so we, 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 we struggle. So we, we have a 150 megalitres a day consent from the Waikato Regional Council. That's the one we obtained after the 93-94 drought. And then we also applied for another 25 megalitres a day but that we are only able to use if the river is flowing above median. And the river wasn't flowing over the median, and so we couldn't take the water using our consent. We therefore asked Hamilton City Council, who have water allocated to them, who don't use it and don't have the infrastructure to use it, and we asked them if they would uh, on a temporary basis, let us use that water. And they said they would love to help Auckland, but they would let us know by the end of June. This was, of course, at the beginning of June. Um, and we just felt, because at that point, we didn't have any of the rain. You know, we had the rain end of June, but we didn't have that at that point in time. And we were in the 40s with our storage level. So we then decided to use the emergency clause of the RMA to start taking water. And we did that for two weeks, and then the river is now flowing above median, and therefore we can take the water using our consent that we've got. So right now, we're taking 160 megalitres a day, and that's all consented. But at the same time, Hamilton City Council has come back and said they will give us the water, which is great. Um, And so that's... That's the water we need for right now. We we can. So you can use up to one seven five right now because the river's op- over median. We can take one seven five. Yeah. Okay. And do we have the technical capacity to do that in terms of being able to treat all of that water? So we can't deliver one seventy five to Auckland. <laughs> we can deliver about one sixty. We can push it to one sixty five, and that is because we have. We're building a reservoir uh, in Pukekohe. It's called Pukekohe East Reservoir. And that reservoir is necessary for us to be able to deliver the 175 megalitres a day. And that reservoir will be ready uh, in August. Um, And then we'll be able to do 175. And does does the regional council, can it stop you using uh, water that was consented by the Hamilton City Council to take? Or once Hamilton City say, yep, that's fine, you can take part of our allocation, um, is that will that just fly through? I'm just trying to understand what's the dispute here? So, so no, there's no dispute, uh, but you are right. Um, Hamilton saying, yes, you can have it doesn't just mean we take it. We, we have to still go back to the Waikato Regional Council and apply to take the 25 megalitres a day, supported by 
evidence that Hamilton will, will not be taking it and agree that we can take it. So there's a little bit of a process there, which is what takes time. There's also um, the Waikato um, Tainui uh, that we are consulting with. Um, and Hamilton have to consult with Waikato Tainui as well because that's the arrangement they had as well. So we've got a number of players that we have to uh, discuss and respect and take into account before we are able to get things done. Are we currently paying the, the Waikato Regional Council or Tainui uh, for that 160 or 165 that we're able to take currently? No. So one thing that we do not do and will not do is we do not pay for water. And, and even the water we supply to our customers, we are charging for the service we are providing. The water in New Zealand is free. So the water that we take out of Waikato River, the water we have in the dams, they are, they, they, we don't pay for them. We don't pay anyone for, for the water. So, and can we have confidence that will continue? I mean, I, I know there's been talk about the possibility of, of paying a koha or, um, for lack of a better term, a, a tanifa tax for taking water from the Waikato. Are you confident that, that we're not going to... I know we won't see it on our bills, but are you confident that that, that isn't going to occur? Yeah, I, I mean, from my point of view as Chief Executive of Watercare, we are not paying for water. Um, and you know, I, I, I will not lie. If you ask me, I would tell you, you know, because I'm not paid to tell lies. Um, what we have been very open about and have been for many years is that we want the river to be cleaner. If the river, Waikato Hour, if it is clean, then it saves water care money because we don't have to put that much effort into cleaning it for drinking purposes. So what we have said, that we will work with all the agencies, um, including Federated Farmers, uh, Mercury Energy, uh, Waikato Tainui, Waikato River Authority, Waikato Regional Council, all the other councils. We will work with everyone to make sure that the river is clean because that benefits all of New Zealand. And so we will do our bit and we will contribute financially, but the financial contribution will go directly to projects that help clean the river. So we are already spending about $50,000 a year on uh, contributing to a trust that plants trees along the riverbanks of the Waikato River to prevent erosion into the river and reduce sediment into the river. So we are contributing to that. And we will... On, on the basis that if you can keep it cleaner, we don't have to pay to clean it... Absolutely. ...later on. Absolutely. Okay. So let me go back. The, if Russ Remington was the person I was trying to... the name I was trying to think of who, who had quite the unfair dig at you... Um, if they continue to play silly buggers, does the does any of the Waikato or down the very end of the Waikato where it hits the, the mouth of it, is that in Auckland Super City jurisdiction or is that is the whole river in the Waikato? The whole river is in the Waikato. Okay. Uh, yeah. All right. And so you are between a rock and a hard place then. All right. Well, the last section, and again, this has been sent through by people via our social media, is wanting to know... What challenges are you going to face going forward with climate change um, and how are you going to address that? Yeah, so I think climate change is the biggest challenge for us. Water is the, um, the, 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 the sort of measure of climate change. You know, when we see climate change impacts, it will be through water. It's either going to be drier or wetter or flooding. And so we are directly involved we're directly in the business of water, which means we're directly in the business of climate change. So, uh, uh, Some of the other members have pointed out that climate change will mean we are wetter and saying we're asking, does that mean we'll pay less for water? <laughs> but presumably you're going to come up with bad news that that means we're going to be paying more for, for 
for increased wastewater uh, or stormwater? Uh, well, we don't we don't look after stormwater. That's council. Uh, we do wastewater. No. So my understanding from the experts at NIWA who have done a lot of work on what the impact on Auckland would be with climatic change is that the the amount of rainfall we get in Auckland on average will be about the same. But what will happen is we will get uh, longer periods of dryness followed by quite intense, more tropical rainfall, um, which which could be more damaging, you know. Um, to, to some extent, um, we've seen some of that, you know, uh, even what happened in Fungaray, you know, it's dry, 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 drought, and then boom, you know. And we sort of had that in 2018 when we had the temp, uh, Tasman Tempest. You know, we had the equivalent of one in 500-year storm in the Hanuas. And uh, we had sediments run off and all sorts of problems. So I think the future is going to be um, probably more uncertain times. Uh, and when when we get the rain, you know, whether it will be during winter or maybe more spring or maybe summer, um, and we just have to be prepared for that variation uh, as an organization that relies on, on water. Uh, we also have to do our bit in reducing our carbon footprint uh, and the carbon emissions. And we have to take into account that we have to have adaptive design concepts and construction concepts, and we need to reduce our reliance on concrete, for example, which is a huge carbon sink. So we are building a lot of infrastructure, water care at the moment, and we have a program called 402020. And that program is that all new infrastructure that we build will have 40% less embedded carbon in it. And we will reduce the cost of building the infrastructure by 20%. And we will reduce the number of injuries to workers by 20% every year. I worry by asking this question, I may have opened up whole new cans of worms. And without doubt, we're going to get plenty of correspondence about that particular answer. But we'll have to leave that to next time. Ravine, thank you for joining us. Um, I know that you've taken a lot of hit, uh, heat over the rich list. And um, with the the condition of you coming on is that we wouldn't give you a hard time there. We thought that taking a deep dive into the issues was actually really important. And as I say, um, while you've taken a lot of heat, you have been one of the very few Auckland Council officials that's really willing to engage and um, get into the grass on on issues facing Auckland and Auckland ratepayers. So thank you, Ravine, and thanks for joining Taxpayer Talk. Thank you very much. Seasons in one day Lying in the depths of your imagination Worlds above and worlds below The sun shines on the black clouds Hanging over the domain 